Trigger warning. High functioning directly deals with the realities of mental illness and mental health issues. As a result, some listeners may find this content triggering. We encourage listeners to tune in and out in a way that feels safe for them and seek support if they need. If you are in crisis, please call 911 or visit your nearest hospital. If you're in Canada, you can also call Crisis Services Canada at 1-833-456-4566 or text 741-741. This episode contains candid discussions of depression, anxiety, suicide, privilege, dissociation, ADHD, professional and personal support systems, medication, therapy, and the struggles we've had coping with mental illness. Hey, I'm Britt. And I'm Amira. And this is High Functioning a podcast about people who struggle with mental illness while still maintaining seemingly productive and successful lives. Right. We're basically trying to be as millennial as possible by starting our own podcast. And after this, we're actually going to go grab some avocado toast. And we're not buying a house, to be clear. (laughs) Because of the avocado toast. Jokes. We're in quarantine. Okay, episode six. We're talking about technology today. Which I forget if it was you or me who suggested that topic, but I just watched Social Dilemma, so I'm jazzed about this topic. Oh, great movie. I think everyone should watch that. Like, for me, it was a lot of stuff I kind of knew in terms of how messed up social networks are in terms of, like, using using psychology against you and, you know, making you addicted and stuff like that, but... It's, it's like very easy to ignore if you don't have it very nicely and concretely put together in this beautiful little package that contains all it these It is a colors. really beautiful package that they uh, create. Their like dramatizations are a lot. They're a yeah. lot. But yeah, I was like, I don't know if I'll really like this because I know all this stuff, like both from a psychological perspective and also from like a tech perspective, like it's the field that I work in. Um, so it was like, nothing here will be new and nothing was new. And yet still it got me thinking about so many different aspects of tech, of tech and mental health, of like growth hacking, which I've never really fully associated with like psychological hacking, but it totally is. It's a way of using Mm -hmm. our own natural like psychological tendencies against us, whether we intended for it to be against us or not. It is a way of essentially taking what is naturally available to us in our brain and using it to apply to our time spent on like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all these other things. And it's just, it's a, it's a mind fuck. I forget if we swear. We do. We always, it's us. Yeah. We just have to be natural. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you haven't watched the social dilemma, go watch it. I mean, I don't think we're going to narrate the entire movie, even if we could, but just cause they do such a great job of it. But I think it's essential viewing for anyone who uses social media, like just know, know what you're getting mm-hmm. yourself into. At the same time, ignorance is bliss, but still. Anyways. One thing that I found interesting um, was they really did emphasize how much social connectivity matters to us as humans, matters to our well-being. We've talked about this before, the idea of community care and how really relying or relying is not the right word, but, you know, leaning on your on your people and having people around you is important to um, healing, to coping and just to life in general. And 
social media, I guess, maybe thought, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, thought that it could satisfy that need. But it almost like it tickled the need without actually satisfying and without bringing and then ended up bringing more layers of mental health issues. And that's why we got so attracted to it is because of this need for social connectivity. But it really doesn't give us what our mind and and kind of natural instincts crave. And that's where it can become really problematic. It's like a, it's like a fake for that social well, connectivity. Yeah, yeah the way I, I talked about it to a friend, because so a little while ago, I went on this like social media cleanse, which I probably didn't do in the most responsible way because I didn't tell anybody that I was deleting all my accounts. Um, but I was just going through like a weird period in my life. And I talked to you before I did it, actually. Um, and you were very much in favor of me sort of just disconnecting for a bit. But social media, for for the most part, gives you this illusion of connection without actually providing deep, meaningful connection. And I think it can because there's there's people that I've become much closer to through social media and discovering, you know, we have the same political views or social ideas or things like that. And it's obviously been super integral to everyone's mental health during this pandemic to be able to still connect virtually. Um, but there's this illusion. So I have friends where it's like, oh yeah, we, we talk all the time. We send each other memes all the time. But when was the last time I actually talked to them or like was like, hey, how's your life going? What's new with you? It's sort of this back and forth of memes, which is again, great. Um, but, but it's a different type of connection. You're not, you wouldn't know what that person is actually going through based off of a couple of funny memes back and forth. How do you think that impacts your mental health in that sense? Like, do you feel as though the friends that, um, you send memes back and forth from that it, it impacts you in a negative way, in a positive way? Is that like, you know, is it like you said, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when does that connectivity or false connectivity become maybe bad for our mental health? I think it's bad for your mental health if that's the only thing you're doing. I think it's it's great for these memes to like spark a conversation. So like I, I sent you something because I'm thinking of you is really what sending a meme is, right? Any Anything you're sending is... I saw this, it reminded me of you, or I thought you'd like it, I thought you'd laugh at it, I thought you'd have something to say about it. Does it spark a conversation? Not every meme has to spark a conversation, because that would get very, very tiring. But it's, you know, if you've gone weeks now without ever saying an actual word to each other, what what are you really saying? Like, because if you're not, because there's, there's, you know, good communication and productive communication, and then there's just fluff like the way i think of it is like unnecessary small talk sometimes where it's okay to have small talk but if you're only having small talk with the closest people in your life that's a problem that might be a red flag yeah so do you personally find that um when you're only sending memes to someone or when you only have that kind of relationship like do you find yourself pulling away from that relationship like how do you manage your social media relationships Oh, how do I manage my social media relationships? I don't know. I mean, I think, I, mean, I, I just, I, I think the the hard part with managing it is if people think that sending a meme can indicate your entire mood, yeah, or something like that, right? Where it's like I can be sending hilarious memes, but really struggling, and it's it's it it feeds into this like high functioning thing where it makes it so easy to fake being okay if all you have to do is send a funny meme. Yeah. So 
I sometimes use it as like a reassurance that I'm fine, even though I'm totally not fine. So if I'm sending like 15 funny ones, it's like, okay, I'm probably not actually in that great of a mood. Um, and, and I think, sorry, what I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back to your original question. No, I actually forgot it. I think that answer is actually a good segue to like talking about, um, one other thing we wanted to talk about was like the curation that social media allows us to have. Oh yes, totally. Because here you are saying like, we're just curating even through like the memes you send, right? Like you're only sending memes Mm -hmm. and still that's like a bit of a wall between what you're actually feeling and what you want the person who you're sending this to, to perceive of your feelings. And that's just meme sending. Like we're not even getting into like feeds or editing or anything like that, you know? And I think that, I think we could spend hours talking about curated Instagram feeds or curated anything feeds. And we've all heard this a bajillion times, like it's all curated, but it takes a lot of effort for our brains to see a curated feed, look at it, not get impacted by it, and then remind ourselves, this is someone's highlight reel. This is someone's highlight reel. And yeah. that's, that's really hard. Be a highlight reel. Like the highlight reel almost has the insinuation that those are the highlights. It could be just a pure fabrication yeah. of something, right? Like it could be so, like someone is really not in a good spot and they're posting like they're having the time of their lives. That's not even highlights. That's like, I am deliberately going to yeah. go against what I'm actually going through. I think the other thing that's that we've seen over the past few years is like when I first got Instagram, it was just me and my friends sharing our own photos. Yeah. And it's evolved into this like, I hardly, I mean, I see some posts from friends, but like, I hardly see people adding to their grids that are my friends. Yeah. Like, oh, I see what you're doing with your life. It's all influencers or educational accounts or social justice accounts or like things like that. And then the, the connection piece is through DMs mm-hmm. or stories. Like I find that stories have become a, stories are definitely yeah a way to connect. But it's also like stories can be curated as well. So sometimes it's hard. Like you see people's. Um, you see people living their best life in stories and that's just the nature of it. Like it's not, this is where it becomes hard. It's, we all do it. We all share things that make us happy or happy events. And when you don't know the whole story as an onlooker, sharing happy events or seeing someone's happy events often makes you feel like, oh, well, you know, their life is better than ours. And I just think so much of our social media lacking social media literacy came in training our brains to not like to take it take everything with a grain of salt i think we take so much of it at face value like the stories for me particularly i just take it at face value and i'm like it's a saturday night and i'm sitting at home doing absolutely nothing and here are these people who like i don't know they're doing something fun and like it's a pandemic so obviously honestly the pandemic has been kind of nice for social media because when no one was doing anything on saturday night it was like a lot less fomo it was a little easier yeah, but, but now it's worse when people do post they're doing stuff because I'm like, number one, I'm jealous. But number two, you're an idiot. I Stop know. Doing that. I know. It's so frustrating. And then sometimes I'm like, are you actually doing stuff or are you just taking a picture of a champagne bottle because you're bored and you have like two other <laughs> two other people in your house and they've both been part of your bubble this whole time or they're your roommates and you just decided to dress up? You know, I'm like, dude, like, no, but it's so hard. It is that like, I wonder what we have to do to train ourselves to just not feel any which way about people's posts, you know? But I think it's natural. I think it's it's just a reflection of human nature, right? Like what's what's created online, the whether it's envy, jealousy, FOMO, it's 
a reflection of what we experience in real life too right where it's like even if you didn't see the photos of it but you heard about this party that happened last weekend that you weren't invited to or you heard about a trip your friend went on that you would never be able to afford you're still going to experience that that feeling that FOMO that jealousy whatever it's just accelerated in some ways it's 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 accelerated or it's more in your face yeah but the other thing is is then also i like I would say we're really close friends, so I would pay attention to what you post yes. or what's on your store. Couldn't tell you the last thing that was on your story or the last post you posted. Couldn't tell you any that really come to mind because we're so good at filtering out brand messaging now that we don't always know, oh, this is something that my friend posted. I want to pay attention to it. I want to like chat with them about it mm-hmm. um, versus this is just another brand message I'm going to mindlessly scroll past. Like the, the doom scrolling or the mindless scrolling such it's a so thing. much that it's like, are you really connecting if you're just doom scrolling and you're not actually paying attention to what you're looking at? And then it gives you the illusion of connection, which makes you not want to seek more connection, which is just like a really bad cycle. But yeah, the doom scrolling yeah. is such a good point. Um, I think I scroll as a self-care technique and it's not like it's one of the self-care techniques that I've been working to take away from my life because I find that it actually... Uh, it's more of like a numbing technique and numbing yes. is something that isn't necessarily like for me, isn't the safest thing. It usually means that when I do get a second to breathe um, or when the numbing falls off a bit, I'm going to feel really intense emotions and I'd rather not. I'd rather be able to deal. We've talked about this in our suppressing emotions episode, but I'd rather be able to deal with them in manageable bits than to suppress until it blows up. But yeah, the, the doom scrolling. Oh man, I like I don't even know how to necessarily stop it because most of the time I don't even notice that I'm doing it. I'm just like scrolling, 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 and then I'm like, oh. It's your default. It's like you're waiting for something to load on your computer at work and like a file to open. Just grab your phone and start scrolling. Like, exactly. I'm not actually looking at anything. I'm just doing it out of habit. And I also think there's a discernible difference between, for me at least, between scrolling on Instagram and scrolling on Twitter. Because mm. for me, both both social medias are completely different experiences what are your experiences on either of those social medias social media is a lot more curated like influencers pretty for instagram you um, mean for instagram yeah yeah you said social media fuck sorry (laughs) i haven't had my coffee this morning um is it it's not even the morning anymore it's the afternoon it's okay it's a sunday the whole day is morning it's a mess uh what a disaster instagram instagram yes it's more like pretty curated and i don't know i like i like like the therapy section of instagram oh i love it i would not i would not recommend if you can afford a real therapist to replace it with an instagram therapist like don't do that but there's a lot of great content out there or stuff that i have a moment to digest and then i can talk about it with my real life therapist uh, which is great, but it's important to find the right accounts that add the right nuance and like that kind of thing. And there's a few great ones. Maybe we can add a couple accounts that we like in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of check some of those out. Uh, so that's a great, like, I find it's great for learning in that sense. And then Twitter, another social media account or website, uh, I use for pure jokes. Like there's hilarious shit all over Twitter and then politics, which makes it a lot more of a minefield when I need self-care. Oh, yeah. Because I'm looking for the jokes and then, boom, something political pops up or something racist pops up. And I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, 
or there's like you know anytime like i get a lot of my news from twitter i get a lot of my updates from twitter i find out the latest covid restrictions and the covid numbers from twitter twitter can be a great resource if you know kind of how to use it and what accounts to follow and things like that so i love it for that um but there's a there's a lot more trolls on twitter and it's a lot easier to see the trolls on twitter so you know when there's and i think the the most common example is if there's ever an act of terrorism and there's some sort of implication of a muslim being involved twitter is a disaster for me to try to navigate which is unfortunate because i do find a lot of like joy and relief in the funny parts of twitter so then it's like okay to avoid the bad part of it i can't get the good part of it and that makes it a little bit a little bit tougher um whereas instagram the thing is is like sometimes when i really want there to be more of a focus on something political i can't get that from instagram like i can't it's less searchable it's more about who i follow and and who i don't follow um the explore page is okay on instagram but i find it doesn't like update with my interests well how quickly are your interests changing but i feel that as well literally every five minutes (laughs) that's fair my explore page um actually uh, the hinge prompt why do i keep bringing up hinge i guess it's like a decent part of my life right now but it's not because like who's dating during covid um but there's a hinge prompt and it says like the best way to get to know me and i wrote my explore page but i totally take that back now because so for i have um like friends in my life and family um who've just given birth and so i was like looking at a lot of these types of posts on the instagrams Um, and so my explore page is all like pregnant influencers and like mommy influencers. And that's like nowhere near where I'm at in my life at all. But because I just like, then I see a new post about like pregnancy. I'm like, whoa, I did not know this. And then I look at it more and now it's just like my explore page is not the way to get to know me. I should really take that off of my, my hinge prompt. It is hilarious in how it changes. So uh, a funny example is this year when I was fasting during Ramadan, my entire explore page was food. Oh my goodness. I just kept looking at food all day. Um, I think right now it's, you know what, I'm going to pull up my explore page. Yeah, let's both, let's see what's on our explore pages. <laughs> okay, so mine is like, it looks like a bunch of content about ADD. Okay. Mine's a lot of psychological content, which is good. Like there's like how to support people with mental illness, how to hold yourself accountable, more ADD. Um... And what else are we at? Oh, then there's like some like like niche South Asian content, Ooh. which is always cool, like art and stuff like that. I love Instagram for art and finding new artists um, and creators. I just that's one of my favorite things I use Instagram for. Yeah, and more food. There's always food. I love I love Instagram for food accounts. So my explore page, um, we've definitely got some moms on this page. We've got some Kylie Jenner and the Kardashians. Okay, doom scrolling through Kardashian um, clips, like keeping up with the Kardashian clips. Yes. Okay, honestly, one of my favorite things to do. Like, it's such a great numbing strategy, so it shouldn't be one of my favorite yeah. things to do, but it's, oh, it gets me. No, sometimes I used to watch keeping up with the Kardashians when I just felt like absolute trash. I just watch it, it when I scroll and it. Yeah, it's mindless. It's great. It's so great. <laughs> What else do I have on here? I have lots of comedians. I really like finding um, comedy clips on Instagram or like the Facebook videos even. And I do end up watching the whole thing. 
Um, and I don't know, they, they really capture me. And then I have some like weird other stuff. Like, what is this? Oh, a papaya being eaten with milk inside. Like, I don't know, just really random, random stuff. It's weird. It doesn't really represent who I follow because I think I try and follow a lot of like artists and, um, content creators that really sit with my values this was something I actually mm-hmm. did recently um, to curb. I, I want to talk about some of our um, kind of social media strategies. Um, yeah. And one thing I did recently, and a bunch of my friends did, we talked about it, was we removed influencers that made us feel bad about ourselves. Yep. Which just seems so obvious, but it's not something that we had actually sat down and consciously done. So for me, there's a caveat to that because I've done that, but then there's some influencers who are, say, like, anti-racism educators Mm. and you know uh indigenous creators and things like that and sometimes that content makes me feel bad it makes me feel sad or it makes me feel like i'm not doing enough but to me that's that's a form of accountability so you know it's it's important that to me it's important that my instagram feed isn't just things that are going to make me feel good you know what i mean so i like there has to be this for me there has to be this you know uh accountability purpose um it's a form of escapism but i i don't want to be irresponsible with, mm-hmm. with some of that escapism so for us when we were talking about it like a lot of that feeling bad is more like envy of people who we think have like a really curated life got it like yeah. the ones who are like in la every weekend popping bottles exactly the people yeah, 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 for yeah, me yeah. particularly i've had a lot of trouble with like my body image lately and so i went in and like consciously unfollowed everyone who was you know Fitspo. They're great yeah, and they provide great, great alternative account to that. Uh two of them. Decolonizing fitness and the body is not an apology. I'm pretty sure I great follow account. decolonizing fitness. And it's like, yeah, you start following I started following influencers who are a lot more honest about their fitness journeys. Um they don't necessarily have like the fittest bodies, uh, influencers who make more of an effort to show modifications when they're showing exercises. Like it's not just about like who am I and what can I do? I follow, um, oh, there's a really, there's a, I forget her name. I, oh, I think it's Soph Butler. She is a, a content creator for fitness. She's a fitness content creator, um, but she's a wheelchair user. She's actually paralyzed um, from the waist down. And so she talks about fitness in a much more inclusive way. And I think that really stands out to me too. And it's a lot more empowering and exciting to follow. Like when I see her exercises, I'm a lot more keen to listen to her advice than someone yep. who shows me only one way to do it, doesn't really explain how to do it, and they have this like perfect, really fit body. I'm like, there's no way. I don't know how you're doing it. And all power yeah. to them. But for me, following that put me into um, negative loops. So that was just like one strategy for sure. Totally. Yeah, at the beginning of quarantine, I started to want to do like these, like there was a lot of yoga studios doing these Instagram live yoga classes, which was great. It was a great way for me to like, get a bit of activity when I couldn't leave my apartment. Um, but as a result of that, I started getting way more like fit fitness accounts and like ones that weren't great. And so it was all like, there was like, I, I don't like this like idea of like with fitness, like push harder and oh, like, it's going to hurt. Like it's a punishment. Like, oh, like this totally kicked my ass. And it's like, I don't know. People don't connect with that. Like I find that very dangerous. And for me, like, I already have a weird relationship with working out and like I've had um, issues with it in the past with just not treating my body properly and with the limitations my body has, I have to be so mindful 
with the type of workout content I engage with, the types of classes I would consider. So I like was really worried about that. And then there was also just like like white yoga and like white oh, people yeah. in yoga is is so problematic and I had issues with that. But then I found really great actual um, Indian yoga mm. instructors and there's like a, a podcast about it. And so it was a good way for me to learn about yoga properly as opposed to, you know, these pretty little white girls doing their yoga and going like namaste. Like it's not <laughs> that's not it. So if you're looking hard enough, you can find excellent people on Instagram. Yeah. But it's just so easy to find the bad ones. And I think, yeah, so I think that's kind of the strategy for me is like look hard for things that are actually gonna bring um, some sort of that are actually going to add to your life, you know, people who are going to teach you people who are going to challenge you in healthy ways, like people who are going and that's across the board, right? Not just fitness, but there's all kinds of different content creators. I get a lot of my information, like we said, therapy, Instagram is an interesting one. Um, obviously, to bring back to an actual therapist and to talk through. But a lot of the information I've learned about racism and sexism has come from content creators on Instagram. And I follow them and I read their stuff and it's really interesting and it challenges me. And I feel like that adds, I know it adds value because I'm learning and learning is a, is a valuable thing. So I think yes. curating your feed is really important because then otherwise you can yeah. go down not only a path of envy, but also a path of misinformation. And that's a scary thing. Yeah. So that's another caveat I want to add is, is I've also learned a lot about racism and social justice through social media. But the dangerous part is when people use that as their only resource and become an expert via Instagram. Uh, what is it called when you see like multiple pictures in one post? A carousel. Uh, right, right. Yeah, like an Instagram carousel can't be your, like your, your entire education. It can be a stepping stone for more reading. So I appreciate the accounts where it's like, for more reading, go here. Exactly. Or this is where we pulled it from. And then actually go to those websites because if you're becoming a self-proclaimed anti-racist person and you've only spent time on Instagram, you're missing so much nuance because you can't, Instagram is not a platform designed for in-depth, thoughtful nuance. Like you're, 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 uh, I think it's literally designed for the opposite. It, it is. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're, again, you're getting this illusion of learning so much, but you're not actually learning that much. And then, you know, you might have only taken something out of context. Like it's just. Uh, Instagram yeah. needs to be paired with the real world. Yes. For all of yes. it. Whether it yep. be therapy Instagram, whether it be social justice Instagram, whether it be the memes you send to your friends Instagram, it mm -hmm. needs to be paired with the real. And it is, you know, Instagram in many ways is the real world now that is, but it needs to be paired with human interaction, whether it be like on video because it's a pandemic or face to face if they're in your bubble, whatever it is, you can't be so like social media can't be your one and only or else it's no, going it's to give you communication spark not a replacement exactly and we use it as a replacement instead of a spark so like say i mean we're gonna we're gonna do this when i'm not in toronto anymore is we're gonna see things on each other's instagram feed that are like oh i'm doing this or you're doing that but if we kind of get into this mindset of like oh well i know what they're up to because i saw it on their feed then we're actually going to know what the other person is up to. Like, I think it's great if, if you're having a conversation. I have one friend and she's great at this. She, you know, she's a self-proclaimed Instagram stalker. But um, when we chat, she's like, oh, I saw you were doing this. Tell me about that. Or yeah. I saw you did that. Tell me what that was like. 
Um, it's as the spark. opposed to just being like, oh, I saw it. Exactly, a spark. That's a really good way to put it. Um, I, I want to wrap up the, the social media conversation because there was one other thing we wanted to touch on with the technology, um, which was virtual therapy. Oh, yeah. Super relevant right now. Um, yes. Did you have anything more to say about the social medias? Um, yes, one more thing. So we talked about unfollowing like content creators or influencers that don't align with our values or that make us feel bad about ourselves. How do we do this with people we know? People Ooh. that are our friends, our family, people we grew up with. Do we always have to accept friend requests from that random auntie we don't want seeing our feed? Okay. This is what I do. I mute the shit out of them. <laughs> okay. And I love, I love that Instagram, when you mute someone, and if you've muted someone, you know, Instagram gives you a little thing and it says, uh, they won't know that you've muted them. I'm like, I know. Fantastic. Fantastic. Because uh, Instagram's definitely gotten some, like, you know, panicked messages being like, customer service help. I don't know if they know. And now I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, it's hard. We both grew up in, like, collectivist families. And we do have this inner idea of, like, owing people ourselves, which, you know, is a whole other whole other thing that we can dive into. So I often feel bad to completely deny someone, you know, following me or being friends on Facebook um, or whatever it is. Um, but I do make good use of the muting tool if I find that their posts or their stories or whatever it is um, don't make me feel like my best self. And I block them. Like I will keep them whatever, like your friends, but like don't show them my stories or like whatever it is. Yes. That's a great tool where it's like you don't have to, because if you completely unfollow someone or block them, if they go to your profile, they can see that they don't follow you anymore. Like that part. Yes. See. But you can, un under your stories, you can say, you can hide, hide my stories from these people. You can also use the close friends function. I love that only function. show certain things to certain people. So I think it's like, if you know about all these little functions where you can limit the access that people have to you exactly because otherwise social media is is uh unrestricted access to you and we don't owe that access to anyone um that we don't want no. to give that access to and that's a big journey that we've been on as well is recognizing boundaries and that's like part of putting down boundaries is deciding mm -hmm. who and when people get access to you so that's a really really good point to kind of uh, close up that conversation on for sure um, mm -hmm. shall we move on to the good and bad of virtual therapy and, and talk about yes. that for a few minutes before wrapping yeah. up? Yeah. How do you find virtual therapy? Oh goodness. Well, I don't cry on my own. I've talked about this before. It's hard for me to really cry, like really cry. And my therapist's office has become like a really safe place for me to do that. Um, and to kind of break down in a way that like I've walked, I walk into their, their office and I'm a mess of myself. And then I walk out and I'm back, you know, I'm like back to work, back to whatever, which again, not necessarily the best strategy, but it is what it is. So that's something I'm really missing in my therapy, but it's also encouraged me, encouraging me to cultivate that kind of space in my own home because I'm lucky enough to have that safety. Like in my room, I can close the door. You know, my roommate Shelby, like if I ask her to walk out of the house for those, for that hour, like work somewhere else, she will, like she understands that. I'm very lucky to have that. So in that sense, like I can work to kind of cultivate that space, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same safety that I feel is like being in 
that office, that context is really, I know that's really important to me when I'm going through difficult uh, stories or difficult moments. It's, it's important for me to have that context and that's been missing and that's really hard. What about mm-hmm. you? Um, yeah, again, mixed. I love, I love that it's in the comfort of my own home because then after a session, if I'm like feeling some kind of way or I like just need more time to think and process, I can just sit here and do that versus before it was like, okay, um, leave her office, jump on the subway, riding the subway in public for like 30 minutes and going home. So I didn't have like that private time to myself to yeah. just think in on my own like if I want to cry after I can cry after I don't really do that but like I'm not going to cry on the subway um, so there's like a different level of just being able to sit with it I also like that my timing is a lot more flexible of when I can schedule therapy so I can do it over lunch or I can do it you know if I don't have meetings booked in the morning like that flexibility is really great and I, I live alone so at this point I haven't had the issue of like being around other people for it but I'm going to be living with my parents for a couple of months and that's something that worries me. Like, how do I have therapy in their house with them around? And, like, I know they'll be good about it if I'm like, hey, don't, like, come into my room or, like, whatever. Um, but it's just, like, a different level of, like, discomfort or not necessarily feeling safe. I've also had it where I've had therapy and, like, there was one time, this was so bad, but, like, I told my therapist this. I was like, I'm supposed to get, you know, maintenance on my fan coil unit at some point in the yesterday today or tomorrow and i just know they're going to show up during therapy and sure enough they showed up during therapy so i'm having a therapy session while this random man is in my apartment amazing working on my fan coil yeah or there was a time that like a fire alarm went off and so like i'm in therapy listening to the to the fire alarm like we didn't have to leave for it but like those random little interruptions at home can be kind of annoying but I do like it virtually. It means that, like, when I'm not in Toronto or I'm in Calgary, like, I'm visiting my parents or I'm visiting somebody else, I can still have therapy. And that's really cool. Or if I'm sick, I don't have to not go to therapy because usually my mental health is in pretty bad shape if I'm sick. So I can still have therapy if I'm feeling sick. And that's awesome. That's Those are really good perspectives. Um, so I'm wondering if we have the option to go back to in-person therapy will you want to i mean i think for multiple reasons i'm probably going to be sticking with virtual yeah just by virtue of where i am and like the convenience of not having to commute to therapy um but i think at, at some point in my life i might consider you know in person if i have to see it in person you know then it's like okay do i find a different therapist one that's closer to where i am things like that yeah for me like i don't know i i hear you around all of these points that you're making in terms of um being able to be in your own safe space and i don't know i think therapy for me when i have it walking out of that therapist's office helps me kind of this is bad to say but helps me put my face back on and face the world Mm -hmm. because Yeah, going through, working through trauma is really hard and you you do need that break afterwards, but I just, I end up feeling like my whole day is gone and I hate that feeling because it makes me feel unproductive. So at least like when I'm in the therapist's office versus walking out of the therapist's office, that, that change in context helps me like reset. And this may not be the safe, the smartest thing or the best thing for my overall trauma dealing, but that is what it's been. It helps me reset and then kind of go about my day. Um, in a more productive way. Whereas when I'm doing therapy from home, 
frankly, when I do anything from home, like it's just so much more tiring. I don't have a change in my day. Change for me is really important. It keeps me energized. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I'm ready to go back to in-person therapy when given the chance. My therapist also like, I'm lucky my therapist's office should they open up again is just a few blocks from where I live. So it's like a good walk to go over there. It's perfect. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons why for me, that feels like a much more um, effective option. But all that to say, I am not giving up therapy just because it's virtual. Like no way ever. Yeah. I need it. I know I need it. Even in those, like, even if it's not giving me maybe the same impact as it did before, like, Having someone that is essentially a way to keep myself accountable, a check-in on my mental health, especially now when mental health is so uh, like all over the place um, without rhyme or reason most of the time. I think it's it's definitely important to have that even if it's maybe not, in, for me, maybe not in the most ideal medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that can be a good or bad thing is it's a lot harder for a therapist to like discern your body language changes in your body language or whatever virtually because they're just seeing your face uh so that can make it worse for some people i find it a little bit like safer because i can react a certain way and not feel like like i'm it's it's a little easier for me to be vulnerable in that way so i've gotten a lot closer to crying sometimes but the other thing is is my therapist has known me for years so without without me reacting she knows how i'm going to react to something and so like she'll know when i'm not going to like something and and she'll be like you're not going to like this so it's a little easier for us because we have that strong relationship already i think it would be exceptionally difficult to build a relationship with a therapist virtually or start therapy virtually but you also again have that safety of being like like in some ways it's like if you don't want the therapy session to continue anymore you can just hang up as opposed to like <laughs> awkwardly having to leave a session <laughs> oops my my internet went out sorry it won't it won't come back bye yeah <laughs> exactly it's true there's a a different set of boundaries that you can put down there's a challenge to create safe space at home um if you haven't already there's definitely a lot of pros there's definitely a lot of adjustments Um, but I think overall, you know, I feel like we're lucky to be in a time where when we can't leave the house, we still have many ways to connect with healthcare professionals, um, connect with our friends beyond just the social media bubbles, you know, really just building connection wherever we can, uh, even if it's, even if it's currently virtual, which yeah, and I, I think virtual goes beyond like the way we can use tech for our health now, whether it's using an app to, like track your mental health that's great whether it's being able to connect with a doctor virtually like if you're so depressed you can't get out of bed now you don't have to get out of bed to go see a doctor you can see a doctor from your bed you can talk to your therapist from your bed so the reaching out is a lot easier yeah. with tech um and and so many more resources are at your disposal and are available to support you in um improving your mental health it's hard because we there's a lot of evidence to suggest tech has also overall um, hurt mental health, especially of young people. But I see that a lot of like tech came on really quickly and it's only going to keep mm-hmm. being quicker. Um, but the more we become, you know, literate, like more tech literate, understand where its pros are, understand, like we said, that it's not a replacement for connection. In fact, it's just a spark. As we get older, and if uh, we choose to have children, teach that to the children around us as well. Um, you know, I think 
hopefully maybe this is a very positive idea, but I love tech. I think we will find ways to live with tech in healthier manners. I think we're already finding ways to do that. Um, I'm a software engineer, so like this shit's my, I love it. I love it and I love the opportunities of it. Um, even though there are obviously so many caveats and so many important things to be mindful of uh, when engaging with technology in order to keep your mental health um, in a safe place. Yeah, what you're really touching on is is tech resiliency. And yes. Like how do we build that resiliency to the downsides of tech? Like for me, the biggest one is I get so upset when I get left on red, but then I still think it's acceptable to leave other people on red. And it's such a bad habit or like, you know, I love I love the feature on Instagram messages where you can just like a message, like just double tap and like it. And that somehow is a replacement for responding. I love it. But then I'm also like, how many times have we just not answered someone's bid for connection? Because mm. all we respond with is that heart. And like bids for connection are so important in building relationships and building trust and things like that. Um, and as someone who's hypersensitive to... Uh, not receiving a response to a bid for connection and also being a person who's not great at making bids for connection. I make them in a very subtle way where you wouldn't even know I'm making a bid for a connection that I end up like that's, that's when tech really hurts me. So it's like understanding that is okay. That's my downside. Now I can build this, this resiliency to the nuances of how we communicate using tech. One thing I try and iterate a lot, um, in my work as a software engineer is people are always like, oh, you know, being a dev, like you're just working with computers, you're just working with computers. And I completely disagree. Like I think being a good developer means understanding the nuances of human behavior and being able to translate that into technology. But it also means writing out clear, like when you're creating products, making sure that there are clear written out almost like rules or guidance metrics or instructions for the humans that use it. Um, and I think devs forget about that a lot of the time, but it's as simple as like when we at work, like when we create a product, we create an instruction manual that comes with that product, right? Like we do that. Um, and I think that that kind of thought has to go into every type of technology that's made, even if it's not something that has this very obvious instruction manual, but creating that caveat of like human behavior, you can't just throw tech in front of a human and say, use it and then think that there won't be any issues. Right. And that's the case. Every time there's an update to like the layout of an app or like how Facebook looks or something like that, or like an iOS update, people lose their minds and they're like, I hate it. I don't know what to do with it. Exactly. And I think it's like all this stuff needs to come with user manuals. And if it's not going to come with the user manual, then at least like the engineers on it, the product people on it need to think twice about like, what is the impact of this on humans? And how can we create that? Um, like, how can we write a user manual for social media? You know, like, how can we set that out? And I think that I, I do see a lot of that movement in the tech world, like being in it, uh, even in social dilemma, like coming back to where we started, all of those people who were speaking, you know, they're making changes in, uh, in that tech world. Now they have a lot of power and they're putting pressure on the people who make decisions um, to be more mindful of what of misinformation campaigns, for instance, or to be more mindful of addiction to technology and all that. And, you know, we still have a ways to go. Um, but I do think, you know, in being in tech, that doesn't mean you forget about humans. If anything, it means you have to think about humans and human behavior and our nuances 10 times more. And I think mm-hmm. that's a misconception that people have. So... That's kind of like my ending thoughts about all this. Do you have, do you have some thoughts to end off our tech episode? 
No, I mean, I think for, I think like the big highlights, I, I just want to reiterate is, you know, building that tech resiliency, using uh, social media as a spark for a connection, not a replacement for a connection. Um, and, and really being mindful and comfortable with the boundaries that you are, you need to set and you are willing to set, whether it's with people you don't know, like influencers or people you do know, like family or friends from, from high school or things like that. And using the tools at your disposal to make your accounts and feeds, um, safer for you while also ensuring that you're not completely using it for escapism and using it to learn or a spark, again, a catalyst for learning as opposed to a replacement for learning um, and uh, and getting more out of it than just, you know, a couple fun memes here and there. But keep the memes because they're great too. Ke- I was going to say keems, keems, keep the memes, keems. Jeez. I think that's a good place to end. How about you? <laughs> yep. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This has been High Functioning.